This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. I am Sarah Jane Case, and this is Enneagram and Coffee. Hello friends, Sarah Jane here. It's that time of year again where we are gearing up for a break between season three and season four. With that in mind, I have compiled my favorite episodes from season three for you to check out right now. I know that doing a daily podcast means that episodes get lost in the mix sometimes, and I want to make sure some of these really get a chance to shine. So I am entering into the holiday season with so much gratitude for all of you. Thank you so much for being here. And if you are looking for real-time content, I'll still be posting a new episode every Monday through the month of December, walking through reflecting on the year and planning for 2023. Enjoy today's episode. Hello friends, happy Tuesday. I hope your day is treating you well. Today we are starting a weekly series on love. But first, today is Rosebud and Thorn. My rose today is that the interview that is going live this Friday is so good. I just finished recording it and I am so pumped. The Thorn is that I'm having a bit of a vulnerability hangover right now with the book. It's totally fine. I love the book that I've made. I love the writing that I've done, but you know, it's just scary. <laughs> so that's kind of what's going on for me. My bud is that I made some white bean chili last night and I get to have the leftovers for dinner. And that's just really exciting to think about. <laughs> okay. So let's talk about love. I wanted to do a series on love this month as we are in the month of love, right? We're going to do an episode every single Tuesday this week. So we're focusing on romantic love. And then next week, on self-love, the week after that on friendly love, and then the love of family. We're going to discuss it in general and then how each Enneagram type may experience it and things that you may want to know. So let's go. I read the book All About Love by Bell Hooks last year, and it completely shifted the way that I think about love. Now, with that being said, I'm going to read an excerpt from her book here as we introduce the discussion around romantic love. So this is from Bell Hooks. Our confusion about what we mean when we use the word love is the source of our difficulty in loving. If our society had a commonly held understanding of the meaning of love, the act of loving would not be so mystifying. Dictionary definitions of love tend to emphasize romantic love, defining love first and foremost as profoundly tender, passionate affection for another person, especially when based on sexual attraction. Of course, other definitions let the reader know one may have such feelings within a context that is not sexual. However, deep affection does not really adequately describe love's meaning. The vast majority of books on the subject of love work hard to avoid giving clear definitions. In the introduction to Diane Ackerman's A Natural History of Love, she declares love is the great intangible. A few sentences down from this, she suggests Everyone admits that love is wonderful and necessary, yet no one can agree on what it is. Coyly, she adds, we use the word love in such a sloppy way that it can mean almost nothing or absolutely everything. 
No definition ever appears in her book that would help anyone trying to learn the art of loving. Yet she is not alone in writing of love in ways that cloud our understanding. When the very meaning of the word is cloaked in mystery, it should not come as a surprise that most people find it hard to define what they mean when they use the word love. Imagine how much easier it would be for us to learn how to love if we began with a shared definition. The word love is most often defined as a noun. Yet all the more astute theorists of love acknowledge that we would all love better if we used it as a verb. I spent years researching for a meaningful definition of the word love and was deeply relieved when I found one in psychiatrist M. Scott Peck's classic self-help book, The Road Less Traveled, first published in 1978. Echoing the work of Eric Fromm, he defines love as the will to extend oneself for the purpose of nurturing one's own or another's spiritual growth. Explaining further, he continues, love is as love does. Love is an act of will, namely both an intention and an action. Will also implies choice. We do not have to love. We choose to love. Since the choice must be made to nurture growth, this definition counters the more widely accepted assumption that we love instinctually. Everyone who has witnessed the growth process of a newborn child from the moment of birth on sees clearly that before language is known, before the identity of caretakers is recognized, babies respond to affectionate care. Usually they respond with sounds or looks of pleasure. As they grow older, they respond to affectionate care by giving affection, cooing at the sight of a welcomed caretaker. Affection is only one ingredient of love. To truly love, we must learn to mix various ingredients, care, affection, recognition, respect, commitment, and trust, as well as honest and open communication. Learning faulty definitions of love when we are quite young makes it difficult to be loving as we grow older. We start out committed to the right path, but go in the wrong direction. Most of us learn early on to think of love as a feeling. When we feel deeply drawn to someone, we connect with them. That is, we invest feelings or emotions in them. That process of investment, wherein a loved one becomes important to us, is called cathexis. In his book, Peck rightly emphasizes the most of us you confuse cathecting with some with loving. We all know how often individuals feeling connected to someone through the process of connecting insist that they love the other person, even if they are hurting or neglecting them. Since their feeling is that of cathexis, they insist that what they feel is love. She goes on to say that in the book that love is as love does, right? So if they are not showing you care, if they are not showing you respect, right, then they're not showing you love. They're showing you cathexis. So essentially, love is action. We show love by what we do, not how we feel. We can feel infatuation for a person without showing them actions of true love. We can feel affection for someone without truly receiving love from them. So what can get in our way of showing love in action by our Enneagram type? And what can we do to manage that? So I'm going to run through each of the Enneagram types and the common things that I hear from your partners and things they wish you knew. And then we'll go into a little bit more of how to receive love or how we want to receive love by our type. So for a type ones, one of the things that we have to work on is knowing where we end and our partner begins. Not in the sense that maybe um, other types might experience this where it's like, I want to be so close to my partner that we're intangibly connected, but more so that your values are not their values. What you think is right may not be what they think is right, and that that's perfectly okay, that 
our relationship to how we manage our lives isn't necessarily the way that other people should manage their life. So the work here really is in releasing the pressure that you put on yourself and therefore um, not putting, not letting that pressure seep into the way that other people, you know, your partner gets to live their life. For type twos, it's really about looking for evidence that you were loved without communicating, right? So sometimes our twos, we're looking for proof that they're loved and the proof is often a very specific thing. (laughs) I need you to know when to open the door for me, know that I like to have water in the water jug when I come home or know the things that really matter to me or show me love. But I don't want to have to tell you because if I have to tell you, then it's not you doing it of your own fruition. It's me making you do it. And then it's not even love. Um, and so the the important thing for choose to learn is that love can be requested and it still be love, right? It's not your job to read minds and it's not your partner's job to read your mind. They really, the goal here is to create a place of mutual trust and safety where asking for what you need isn't scary because you know that you're loved even in your need. You know, I think that's a big part is twos. Sometimes we, where we, we struggle to give love is oftentimes where we struggle to give love to ourselves, right? So for ones, the ability to make mistakes, the ability to be a little bit messy, that they struggle with. And so sometimes they can put that onto their partner, right? So for twos, twos really struggle to love themselves in their need. And therefore they assume other people will will struggle to love them in their need as well. Okay. So let's talk about our threes here. For threes, it's about playing the role of perfect partner. That That's something that threes are great at, right? Like what do I need to do to win at being in a relationship? But the thing that can can really hang up our threes in, in terms of giving love to your partner is being emotionally present. So yes, maybe you always fill up the car with gas, but struggle to slow down long enough to really see and feel the emotions that your partner is experiencing and staying present with those emotions, even if they're, especially if they're more difficult emotions, or maybe they're disappointed in you, or maybe um, they feel something that makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable or um, dissatisfied in terms of how well you're doing your job. Um, So really focusing on how can I slow down, be more honest about the, the things I'm actually feeling so that I can not only communicate my wants and needs, but also be receptive to the emotional expression of those that I'm in partnership with. So a lot of times for threes, I recommend going for a walk every day, an unplugged walk alone, where you can actually feel your feelings, get get a sense of like where you're at, what you're feeling, what's going on for you, so that you can actually be a present person in the life of those that you love. Type four one of the things that can really hang up our type fours is believing that if someone loves you, that something must be wrong with them. Sometimes our fours can really, can be so convinced that there's something wrong with them that when someone loves them for who they are, that seems suspicious. Like, um, almost like there must be something wrong with you though. If you like me this much, then what's wrong with you? Right. And, and it's not like that. You're actually probably amazing. You just, a lot of times have kind of a blindness to how 
lovely you are. Um, so that in that sense, you know, as you seek to understand your worth and your wholeness, then it will be less suspicious when someone else who is whole and loves you and finds you valuable and worthy. Type five is fear of depletion, right? So I know you guys are tired of hearing me say that, but that is like one of the number one things that prevents you from showing up in your relationships is a fear that, you know, if you give, you'll, you'll give too much and then it'll, things will start being taken from you. Um, fives often have this like mentality that I really love, which is I take care of me, you take care of you, and then we're all good. You know, everybody's taken care of if I take care of myself and you take care of you. That's all well and good, except it's not the most realistic thing in most relationships. Most people want to feel tended to and cared for and taken care of in a relationship. So yes, in theory, like logically that makes sense, but it also can oftentimes leave partners feeling untended to, uncared for, and if we're honest, our type fives, there's a limit for you as well, right? There's that moment where you wish someone would call, but because so often you've not been available, they aren't calling and you really, it's like that tipping point between, whoa, everybody's, there's two, everybody's reaching in for me. People are coming for the things that I have and like the inner energy that I have and that's too much. Right on the other side of that is, I feel really isolated and alone. I don't even know who to call when I need something, right? So um, a lot of this work, right, is just kind of integrating more giving. And I know a lot of the people in my audience here have done some of this work. So um, don't think that you aren't doing the work if you're doing the work. I'm not trying to say you aren't. But ask yourself if you are. You know, kind of pay attention to, am I withholding? Um, And be honest with yourself about that. And maybe give a little bit more than you think you can. For our sixes here, we have our hypervigilance, the fear of what's not being said and um, suspicion of compliments. You know, if someone says, wow, you look really beautiful today, not asking why would they say that instead just saying thank you, (laughs) believing them. A lot of times our sixes get caught up in what's your ulterior motive? Why are you being nice to me? Why are you doing that thing? What's the potential um, pain that this could cause? I want to guarantee that this is a positive outcome. And that's just not possible, right? Sometimes trust isn't obvious. Sometimes trust is given even before we're fully convinced that it's ready. But I think at the end of the day, you know, a lot of times this kind of hypervigilance comes from a lack of self-trust. So it's not that you shouldn't be, you know, careful in a relationship, right? It's just that you should listen to yourself. And when you see a red flag, when you notice something's not working, when you see things that aren't great for you, that you you listen to that and you you trust that inner knowing. But at the same time, when you're safe, when you know deep down that like this is a relationship you're really committed to and you value and you're actually very loved, when you sit in, in silence and you sit with that and in the deepest part of your being, you're like, I know that I'm safe and I know that I'm loved. That in that moment, you all you choose trust, right? That you choose to believe that part of you. Type seven, y'all, relationships are hard, <laughs> right? Um, 
relationships are not always a feel good thing. Sometimes they feel bad, even great relationships. Um, Slowing down enough to have hard conversations is hard. Having another person in your space with their own preferences and opinions is hard. Having someone who's telling you like feedback on decisions that you make for yourself that you think are the right thing for you, but maybe they have thoughts and opinions about that, hard. Having a really great idea and having someone be like, oh man, I don't know. Have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? Have you really thought this through? That stuff's hard, but it's also good, right? It's not bad. It's it's okay for things to sometimes be hard or to sometimes be uncomfy. That doesn't mean that you need to change relationships or it's time to move on or that there's something inevitably wrong with this one. And I think that that's where, you know, we're in the anxiety center. I think that's where our anxiety, part of where our anxiety can really show up is this thing doesn't feel good right now. Does that mean that this is a bad thing for me? But sometimes good things take work and take cause pain even and break open parts of us that we'd like to keep hidden or like to keep shut containers of pain from the past that we'd like to keep under lock. It breaks those things open and makes us look at them and it's uncomfortable, but that doesn't make it not beautiful. All right. Type eight is choosing strength over vulnerability. I wrote a piece for my latest book that I shared on Instagram recently about how, you know, eights kind of have this iron in their bones, right? This iron in their blood that like makes them so sturdy and strong and that strength um, in the right circumstances, right? Can be used as a wrecking ball. It can be used as a fence, right? It can be used to break down and dismantle harmful systems. It can be used to protect people, um, to protect yourself. But A wrecking ball is not very useful in like a room of glass, right? Where things are much more fragile and tender, where emotions are getting shared, where vulnerabilities are getting shared. A wrecking ball is going to do a lot of damage there. And in your mind, it might be keeping you safe. It might be protecting you. But in a safe space where things are very fragile and very tender, it's, it's much better to kind of use that strength as a holder, right? As a container to to hold space for that vulnerability and that fear and those emotions and this complex experience of being a human in partnership with someone else and the fear that can come up from that. Um, so that same strength that can be used to kind of do damage is also the strength that I see in, in a lot of the really healthy aids in my life uh, who are holding immense space for people every single day. You know, most of them for their job, you know, they're holding immense space for people and their pain and their vulnerability. And that strength, it comes only through diving deep into your own vulnerabilities, right? The ability to show up in that kind of container strength where you're holding space for other people in this really beautiful, strong, protective, tender way comes through the journey of going into your own vulnerability and meeting your own weaknesses and your own fears and kind of getting to the other side of that, which I think is probably the only thing that eights are really afraid of, but it's worth it. All right. Type nine. For type nine, I really wrote down prioritization. It's like knowing where to focus your energy. A lot of the partners that I know who have, or a lot of people I know who have partners who are nines, They talk about like, well, they give all of their energy to everybody at work or they're giving all of their energy to 
going to the gym or they're giving all of their energy. And, and it's not that like they are doing it intentionally. I don't think, I think, you know, nines just kind of worry about disappointing people. And depending on what your subtype is, that's going to get pointed in a different, you know, in a bunch of different directions, but just kind of pay attention to what your partner's asking for. And, and instead of kind of giving them everything, because you don't have to do that. You don't have to be everything to everyone in order to be loved, in order for people to not leave. That's not it. Pay attention to your specific partner and be like, okay, focus that energy. Instead of spreading it really wide and thin, really focus that energy on the things they actually want and need, the things that they're actually asking you for instead of giving them way more than they need, right? You can be a little disruptive. You can be a lot disruptive, probably by your standards. (laughs) You can be a lot more disruptive, but add that to showing up in the ways that they really need you to. All right. So as we're thinking about love here, I want to share what I hear most often from the type specifically about what they want in order to be shown love. So if you're in partnership with one of these types, here's just what I've heard. Again, like I think we could have a whole conversation on Instagram about this. Um, So go check out Instagram. We'll, We'll have a post up about this, but come talk to me about what you want in terms of receiving love. But here's what I've over the, you know, the several years that I've been doing this, what I've heard the most. So for type ones, if you're in partnership with a type one, it's pay attention to how they do things. Um, The specificity really matters to them. So yes, you can take something off of their plate, but if you're doing that thing in a way that feels messier than they would do it, it actually isn't relieving a ton of their stress. And stress relief is really what they need. So if you're like, I'm going to, I, I hate using the dishwasher analogy because I've just been using it for so long, but it's like the the thing I'm most neurotic about, I think. So that's why I'm like always using it because I'm really particular about how the dishwasher's loaded. So I'm thinking of like, what can we be particular about? But let's say, yeah, maybe, maybe your type one has a car that they hand wash and they need their car washed, but they only like to hand wash it. Do not offer to wash their car if you do not intend to hand wash it, right? Like don't take their car through the car wash if they prefer to have their car their car hand washed. Take whatever you whatever you decide to take off of their plate. Do it the way that they would do it so that they can they can feel the rest that you're trying to give them. Number 2 or type 2. Um pay attention to how they're showing you love, kind of similar to the one, like pay attention to them and how they're doing it and give it back. (laughs) So pay attention to how the two is showing you love. Are they constantly keeping your water glass full? Are they opening the door for you? Are they remembering special occasions for you? Are they asking you about your day? Are they giving you random presents? Pay attention to how they show you love because what they're really saying is this is how I want to be loved. Type three, Give them space to work, right? So when they're working, just give them interruption-free time and space to do that, but then encourage them to rest because threes feel a lot of shame around rest. And so giving them full permission to rest, even helping them to like set goals around rest so that they can feel like they are winning at resting can be really beneficial. But Give them a lot of space to work. Don't make them feel guilty for taking that space, 
but then celebrate their rest with them. Help them to see that as a good thing. All right, type fours, quite literally romance them. The most truest sense of the word romance, give it to them, right? Write them letters, give them flowers, get them a present that has like a very specific meaning to them, you know, that uh, that shows them that you know them in intricate ways. Um, go, you know, lean toward the beautiful instead of the practical um, for the most part. And yeah, just romance the heck out of them. Type fives, um, ask them about what interests them. What are they studying right now? What are they learning? What are they really fascinated about at this moment? And just ask clarifying questions and pay really close attention. Type six, walk through their fears with them. So let's say, you know, you're going out to dinner with a friend and and their type six or a partner in their type six, and they're feeling kind of, they have a lot of thoughts or their minds are really racing. Sit with them, help them to talk that out, hold space, um, organize their, your thoughts with them, hear what they have to say, process those feelings. Don't be like freaked out by the fact that they're even concerned about this. And then when they get to the other side of that, you guys are going to have a great time, but just kind of let them run the gamut of their thoughts and their emotions so that they can really rest into the experience that you're going to have. Um, and if you plan something for them, think it through, right? So they don't have to type seven, let them take you on a fun excursion. Um, do an activity with them that they enjoy. I personally, I will speak for myself as a seven and say that my favorite feeling is watching you have a good experience that I curated for you. Um, I love to take people to like new restaurants, new bars, do weird things together that maybe we wouldn't think to do otherwise. And you enjoy it, then I'm going to enjoy myself even more because I want to introduce you to things that are fun and exciting. Type eight. Um, honestly, give it to them straight, right? If you're really upfront with them, then when you say good things to them, they can trust you, right? If you say, if you're really clear about when your things aren't working for you and you're really clear about when they are, then they know where they stand with you, which feels really safe. The other one is, you know, power up sometimes. Aids are looking for where the weakness is because wherever the weakness is is where they feel like they have to fill in the gap. And so sometimes when if you're trying to love them in that moment or you're trying to give them a chance to rest because Lord knows they probably need to, um, if you're trying to give them a chance to rest, um, you're going to have to be stronger than them in that moment. So if you're saying like take the day off from like helping people and then the whole day you're complaining about how much you need help, they're going to feel obligated to help you. They're going to kind of fill that gap in. But if you are kind of keeping your, you're staying self-contained, you're handling things on your own. If you have a problem, you Google it instead of going to them for help or um, rescue, you know, going to yourself for that, being your own resource so that they can kind of power down a little bit. Finally, type nine. One of the most important things that you can do for your type nine is not to interrupt them. And to ask them detailed follow-up questions about their day. So if they're telling you about their day, they're looking for any sign that you could be bored or not interested or um, offended. You know, they're looking for any reason why they should stop talking. But what will mean the most to them is if you're very fascinated by what they have to say. And you continue to ask questions and you, you stay interested and engaged 
um, the whole time that they have, they have things to share. All right, friends, that is what I have for you today. As we leave today, I want to restate a quote from the passage that we opened with. Again, this is from the book All About Love by Bell Hooks. Please go read it. I think the world would be a much better place if we all read that book. And it says, love is as love does. Love is an act of will, namely, both an intention and an action. Will also implies choice. We do not have to love. We choose to love. As always, it's an absolute joy to create this content for you, and I will see you tomorrow for the next episode.